advertising has changed, and TV ads, once reserved for big brands with bigger budgets, are now available to companies of all sizes and industries. Mountain's self-serve performance TV platform is leading the charge by making TV easier and more affordable than ever. Performance TV gives you access to tens of thousands of audience segments with ads served exclusively on top streaming networks and campaigns automatically optimized thousands of times a day for peak performance. The result is a high-impact ad that will always find its target regardless of what show they're watching. Visit Mountain.com to learn more. Today on the AW360 Podcast, I speak with Alex Charkham, Chief Strategy Officer at global sports and entertainment marketing agency, Fuse. Alex and I discuss the state of sports sponsorships, the dramatic and welcome rise in popularity of women's sports, and the impact of recession and lockdowns on the industry. I hope you enjoy this episode. Alex, welcome to the AW360 Podcast. I'm pleased to have you on today. Thank you. Great to be here. So you're Chief Strategy Officer at Fuse. Tell us a little about yourself and Fuse and what you do there. Sure. So I'll start by talking a little bit about Fuse. We are a sport and entertainment agency, which essentially means that we specialize in planning and activating sponsorships in sport and entertainment for brands. That's very much our heritage and has been since the company came into fruition uh, about 10 or so years ago. Um, in terms of my particular role, um, I oversee planning and I oversee product development and growth as well. We have a very fortunate um, uh, I'd say advantage, in fact, in being right in the heart of Omnicom Media Group. So we sit across all of the core media agencies that make up, um, make up the group which we feel kind of gives us quite a strong point of difference, I think, as it relates to the angle of attack through which we come we come with sport and entertainment. I think specifically, um, we benefit a heck of a lot from the, the kind of broader media marketing intelligence that comes with being in such a group, coupled with um, obviously a pipeline of clients, which which helps our growth and development as well. So that's a little bit about, about us at Fuse. Amazing. Well, you know, going back to... Well, a long time ago, I won't date myself too much, but suffice to say, when I was growing up, the the, the biggest probably brand to sports coupling you would ever see is you'd have sports figures on cereal boxes. Today, fast forward, you know, many, many years, and it's, you know, sports and brands are coupled constantly. What is the appeal of sports for brands and why has it grown so much in in what's well, really not a very long span of time. No, I think the sports industry has done a lot of growing up um, over the last 10 years or so. I think that that growth has been accelerated by virtue, I think, of a, almost a professionalization of it. I think in the agency space in particular, some of the big holding groups have, have spawned um, a sport offering and entertainment offering as well. With that, I think it come as a, has come a degree of of thinking and capability that was perhaps lacking before when an industry that, that always was felt to me quite quite tactical prior to that and often based on, on what we call sort of branding and, and prawn sandwiches and in, in, in hospitality facilities. But I think um, one of the 
we got to think of it in the context of, of advertising, I think, as well. There isn't as much thinking, there isn't as much research in our space as there is in broader media and marketing underpinned by advertising. So I think at the moment, we've really got to lean on a lot of that to, to understand how industry works and understand what it what it can do for brands and businesses as part of their marketing armory. And I think just, just to start off, really, we really need to think about sport and entertainment sponsorship is almost functioning in a similar way to advertising in the sense that it's real sort of role and remit is around you know, slightly increasing the chances that people are going to buy and purchase a product really by making that brand or that business or that product come to mind a little bit more readily so it's the theories around mental availability which very much apply to our to our space but where I think sport has an advantage and something that, that we are getting to grips with and starting to articulate a little bit more is that what you're doing is, is you're embedding yourself within the things that people like doing on the weekend and you're embedding yourselves in their absolute sort of passion points as, as we call it. And I think that gives a significant advantage to us because what it forces sponsors and brands to do is really to lean into those passion points and become part of them in a way which rewards, entertains, um, offer, uh, inspires and really sort of talks to audiences in a slightly different way that, that, that traditional advertising would do as well, um, does rather. So I kind of feel in that regard that we have a, a significant advantage that is perhaps a little bit underplayed and a little bit understated, as I say, by virtue of the fact that there's a slight lack of, of research and a slight lack of um, broader sort of thinking, I think, that, that, that goes with that theory, albeit that is now for sure starting to, starting to change. If you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about how it all works. Mm -hmm. What are the basic fundamentals? Let's start there. So I think when, again, I think you can sort of take a similar, similar briefing style from a client, if you like, as it relates to, uh, to broader media marketing and advertising, there's a particular problem that needs to be solved. And there's a sense that partnerships or sponsorships can do that for reasons that I've, that I've mentioned and I've talked about. Um, but really where, where we come at it is that there's a few angles of attack. There's the planning process, there's the creative strategy process, there's the negotiation process, and then the activation and, and delivery. So if a brand comes to us and wants a particular problem solving, we'll undertake a, a, a planning process to identify the right kind of solution for them. And that, right, and that solution will likely comprise of a particular territory that they could play in in sport and then subsequently what within that is going to work for them relative to their needs given the multitude of, of opportunities that are on the table coupled with some of the competitor category elements that come with any kind of investment. So in conjunction with thinking about where they need to play, we also need to think about how they need to show up in the context of a creative strategy. Um, which then um, has a big a big role to play in the context of forming. Well, once we know where we want to play and how we want to show up, we can then start to have a think about the types of rights and benefits that you need from a particular, as we call them, rights holder, which is, I suppose, our equivalent of a media owner. So when you go into a sponsorship with a rights holder, I think the most visible external side of that will be a lot of the, the branding that comes with it. So the perimeter board signage around a pitch, for example, or branding on a, on a shirt, but underpinning that is a heck of a lot of additional rights and benefits that you can leverage for through the line activation, whether that's IP, whether that's content, whether that's access to talent, whether that's tapping into a, a whole raft of digital rights, whether that's data, et cetera, et cetera. The list can be fairly long and exhaustive. And that's, where, that's why I think you need specialists who are able to identify what are the right kinds of things that a brand should be looking for relative to their own strategic needs and objectives. 
And once you've kind of got yourself into that position you, and, and, and you've valued the, the property itself, you can then start to get into a position where you can get into offer discussions, negotiation, particularly around price, so on and so forth. So it's, a, it's quite a specialist process, I would say. One, I think that gets a little bit over, overlooked because I think the most external um, uh, sort of um, markings of a sponsorship are perhaps the things that feel like they're the most simplistic, such as the branding. But in fact, we believe that there's there's so much through the line potential that can come with a with a partnership coupled with the attention grabbing capability that comes with playing with people's passions that we feel that actually it's a, it's an underestimated part of a brand's marketing armory. You know, and, and speaking to the sort of costs involved, mm. what what is a brand looking at for something like a shirt sponsorship? I mean, what does that actually look like? I mean, you know, as, as, as the answers are, you know, in our industry more broadly, it, it, it depends, right? So I think if we, to try and give you an idea, you, you generally have opportunities in sport across teams, uh, leagues, comp- broader competitions and national teams as well. So if we think about the Premier League, for example, which is probably the, the sort of one that everybody recognises, I would say shirt sponsorships could range from anything to for 10 up to 50 or 60 million pounds, I suspect. Um, at the moment, and and that will be reflective of teams in terms of their overall league position and broader sort of brand and reputation. So it's a significant outlay. It's a significant outlay, and of course, that's just um, to acquire the rights. That's just you know paying to play. In conjunction with that, if you're effectively to make use to, uh, for, of a sponsorship, you need to amplify those rights in a way that that tells the broader story of the brand's involvement, forges a connection with the fan, because of course we're aware a lot of sponsorships. I think fall down as an inability of the brands to contextually explain why they're there and forge a connection with the fan in a way which makes that their presence both understandable in some instances can demystify what that brand is all about and their product coupled with a more effective way of building that that mental availability so i think it's easier if you are in the fmcg category for example where your presence is much more um, or beer category or even sports betting where your your presence is much more um, intelligible for a fan harder if you're in the airline banking or automotive category or, or things like that so suffice to say i'm not going to be able to afford a, a united kit sponsorship anytime soon probably not probably not <laughs> well, i just read today that their shirt sponsor is considering perhaps coming out at the end of their contract. So I suspect they'll be in market fairly soon. Well, I will be sure to uh, cobble together, a, yeah, I don't know, the few thousand dollars that I have and yes, see if I can Exactly, compete. see where that gets you. <laughs> you know, kind of shifting to you know, national teams. Um, you know, mm. One of the things that, that we've seen this year, um, particularly in Europe, but a little bit more in the U.S. as well, is the growth of women's sport. Um, yep. The focus on the Euro 2022 was... Sp- Beyond significant, I mean, it was huge, and you know, yeah. we're seeing a lot of growth here, both in um, in basketball and soccer. Both, yeah. how important is that, and you know, what kind of opportunities does that present? Yeah, look, I think it's been a it's been the culmination of, of many years of graft, when it particularly when it comes to women's sport in in this country. Um, it's been difficult. It's been really difficult, I think, for women to get into this position. I think one of the commentators summed it up quite nicely at the end of the year is where he said that England have won, <clears throat> not because of the system, but in spite of it. And I think that sort of sums up the way that this country in the past, well, historically, really, 
has has thought about women in football in particular and <clears throat> women weren't even allowed to play football I think up until relatively recently um so I think we're going to see now you know there's real momentum real growth and real excitement I think the the quality of the product is is excellent um and I think uh, there were a lot of naysayers coming into the tournament but what's really interesting for me about the women's game is the value proposition that sits behind it and it's a much stronger value proposition I would say than in the men's game currently which now that you have a bit of a benchmark it's kind of hard to know a bit what the men's game sort of sort of stands for. You have the narrative in the women's game very salient at the moment around empowerment and gender equality and all those sorts of things that are really appealing to brands at the moment, particularly those that are are seeking to, to communicate more, more purpose-led uh, narratives more broadly. So that value proposition is massive. And then you have um, lots of people who went to the games, for example, said it's a totally different experience to when you go to, to watch men's football. Men's football in the UK and I think in, in, in much of you know, Europe at the moment is often underpinned by a little bit of anger and a lot of the, the atmosphere can be quite vitriolic. Obviously, there's a history of hooliganism across this country in particular. And all of that goes away with women's sport. There's a, there's a much friendlier atmosphere. There's a much... Um, there's a, a more family-friendly atmosphere in particular, which, which has led us to sort of conclude that it's a slightly different audience relative to men's. So I think with all of that, you're going to see um, a much uh, uh, an acceleration of the, of the appeal of women's sport as a commercial proposition. I don't think that's necessarily going to come to the detriment of, of the men's game. But what I think has been put into in really stark contrast relative to the men's and get women's game is this idea of brand safety. And brand safety now becoming, I think, something that's going to be a much bigger factor in terms of decision-making across some of our clients. And we're seeing in the UK at the moment, quite sadly, in terms of football, a bit of a, um, you know, hooliganism is coming back. There's been the rise of pitch invasions. I think there's increased cases of, of drug taking. And we're not just seeing this in the UK. I think France had a really bad year of football hooliganism as well. And I think um, all of the respective um, football authorities have done quite a good job in over the years of sort of sweeping that under the carpet but now we have this you know fantastic proposition in women's sports something to compare it to I think we're going to see that becoming more of a prerequisite now in, in sponsorship conversation. Interesting and in your mind mm. and this would be both on probably the the sports side and the, the sponsor side who's mm. doing this really well and why? I think those who do it well are the ones who are truly invested in it. They get what sponsorship is about. I think where sponsorship works incredibly well, as I say, is, is unlocking that mental availability just quite simply by making brands a little bit more familiar, a little bit more likable. And as a result of that, really making sure that that front of mind um, salience is, is there for forevermore, if you like. But I think there are a lot of brands who sort of don't quite necessarily get what sponsorship is about in that regard. And there are sort of a couple of examples that have emerged in the last year or so. Brands who are doing it really well, I think, and brands who are slightly struggling a little bit. The ones who are doing it well, I think, and obviously I'll drop in a couple of our clients in there. Um, but Vodafone, for example, who have got a really strong um, investment um, portfolio in the UK. They're, they're a part of the British and Irish Lions rugby, coupled with Wimbledon most recently, and also they're active at a number of uh, festivals this summer. 
And where they are really strong is they understand that they need to have a proper story and a reason for being there. And the theme that they, you know, not, not necessarily a big surprise for a telco is the idea of, of connection and finding a way to help fans really connect with the things that, um, that they love the most. And that automatically gives them a role um, in the context of those environments, but also a role for their technology as well. And I think amidst all of that story comes, you know, brand benefits that I think can, can often outweigh those of, of, of broader advertising, to be honest, because the stories that they can tell and the activation that they undertake um, can deliver across a number of, of emotional levels. Brands that I don't think are doing it as well are those who, who as we say, have a bit of a spray and pray attitude coupled with those who, who rely too much on the media and, not, and, and don't consider um, the storytelling components and the amplification components. I saw some quite interesting research recently from a, a friend of mine, um, uh, Ian Thompson, who pulled out, there's a couple of um, uh, businesses in the UK called Cinch and Kazoo, who are um, online car sales businesses, who are part of that sort of digital first kind of COVID uh, explosion of, of businesses who have emerged um, in the last sort of few years or so and their attitude is one of let's just dial up our presence and our unprompted awareness because we kind of got the, the backing to do so but I think in in doing that they've not really been able to translate that unprompted awareness into um, familiarity and likability which means actually relative to the significant millions that they're investing across their their portfolio they've really been unable to translate that into effectiveness and i think you've got two quite stark kind of contrasts there of brands who are doing it well and brands who aren't underpinned by a, a template and a way of doing things which i think can be followed regardless of what sector you're in and really regardless of the, the strength and depth of your sponsorship investments and what you're spending the rules and the ways of showing up are the same regardless if you're spending you know 50 million pounds or £500,000. And what sort of impact did COVID have on the industry? I mean, it would seem, you know, with all sports shut down for different periods of times, depending upon where you were in the world, it seems like it would have had a really great impact. Yeah, I think in the short term, we suffered, obviously, from, 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 from a business perspective, it feels with such a big um, part of our business hinging on major events. Obviously, that, that, that took a huge hit. And, you know, we had to bear the brunt of that, but you know we weren't the only ones who had to do that inside and outside of our industry. Um, but I think you know I can tell you a little bit about how we pivoted alongside everybody else, and I and I can tell you a bit about what that meant over the next couple of years. But I think what it what it did for us is actually reinforce the importance and the relevance that sport has in people's lives. When sport came back, albeit it was closed, it was played behind closed doors. It it was a massive call to action for people. I think the broadcasters and the and the, the the various governing bodies did a really good job of making sport much more accessible on TV, removing the paywalls, structuring the the the, the matches and fixtures in a way which meant that every day there was something to watch because at the time nobody had anything to do. Most people had touched the bottom of of Netflix and and discovered <laughs> that after that there wasn't much else left to watch. Um, and I think what it really did was reinforce, as I say, the importance that sport has in people's lives and the ability for it to command an audience. And I think that's something that we're using as narrative right now. If you look at the sort of broader state of media and marketing, this mass sense of fragmentation that's going on out there in, in the world, the increasing cost of media. I think TV 
in the UK this year, TV media inflation um, was going to increase by 19%, which is a, a significant, significant hike, um, which is impacting many brands' ability to advertise. And with so much of sponsorship's value derived from TV, we've got a really good opportunity to ride the wave of that narrative and really capitalize on the fact that, A, it can be considered as a, a relatively cost-efficient thing to do compared to advertising, and B, also really position it as one of the few things that brings audiences together on a mass scale when, in fact, there aren't that many things left that, that do that anymore, particularly as we're seeing, um, as I say, media fragmentation, the growth of digital and a slight decline in linear TV viewing as well. So actually, even though there was a bit of short term pain, I think long term we should hopefully, pending what happens in the next six months or so with, with the recession, we should hopefully see sports sort of commercial viability be proven once again. And speaking of recession, what do you see as what could the potential impact of that be? I mean, it's it's one of those where I think we have to slightly in our industry resign ourselves that we would be one of the first things that, that, that gets cut a little bit. You know, we can throw all the narrative around excess share of voice. We can throw all the narrative around brand building at our, at our clients. But ultimately, I think we're marketing generally suffers and advertising generally suffers. And then within that sponsorship was always sadly one of the, the first things to, to go. So we're going to make as strong a case for it as possible, um, throwing all of the all of the theory at them at our, at our respective clients. But I think it's just a wait and see. I do personally believe that there's going to be opportunity for some clients rather than others relative to relative to sectors. So for example, all of our FMCG clients, my guess is that even though they might pull back on some of their amplification budget, they will see this as a great opportunity. Whereas the, the, the slightly longer tail clients that we have, for example, automotive, where the buying cycles are four years and it's harder to justify brand building in a in a in an era when in a, at a point where every you know key audiences and customers and potential buyers are cutting back. I think we might see a slightly different reaction from those guys. So we've got to remain optimistic, um, despite the likely reality. I think, as I say, COVID has shown the power of sport and what it can do um, for, to bring people together and inject some, some, some comfort and happiness in people's lives. Of course, this is going to be different to COVID because people will still be able to go to matches. People are locked in their season tickets. Hopefully people have locked in their... Uh, their subscriptions to watch things on TV, albeit those might those might suffer as well. Um, so it's a sense of cautious optimism, I think. Well, speaking personally, sports are always the last thing to go in my household when it comes to things right. I would pay for. Well, we, got, we got a guaranteed viewer over there. <laughs> Alex, I, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. This was a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more content like this and to learn about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com. TV ads can make for some memorable, powerful stories. The only problem for advertisers is until now they haven't been fully measurable. Mountain's self-serve platform, Performance TV, provides the up-to-date insights you need to take the guesswork out of measuring your connected TV ads impact. Mountain lets you build customizable dashboards with the metrics that matter most to you, allowing for real-time measurement, including when viewers visit your website or make a purchase after watching your ad. 
regardless of what household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.